0: Hi folks, a quick announcement before the show today. First up, events. We've got three events coming up and they're all in person. I think I said earlier in the year that this was going to be the year of the face-to-face catch-up and it certainly seems to be going that way. So, Thursday the 13th of June. This is for you Brisbane friends. So, the Brisbane Take On Board Meetup will be on Thursday the 13th of June. An informal gathering of listeners, program alumni, friends and connections. It's a free event, so come along. Next up, the 18th of July. This is for our Warnable and Great South Coast take on board friends. An event run in conjunction with Leadership Great South Coast and Bernadette Northeast. Governance from fundamentals to advanced practice. Super early bird tickets for this event close on the 10th of June, so get on it. Then the third event, a bit further down the track the 22nd of August. This is for our Sydney friends, a Take On Board meetup in Sydney. Details of all of these events are on my website. There's a link to that in the show notes and I would love to see you at one or all of them. And a second quick announcement, a shout-out to the new Take On Board Kickstarter alumni, Alex Cuthbertson, Anne Wallington, Audrey Umity, Ebony Worth, Emma Bonser, Helen Rizzoli, Julia O'Reilly, Kath Harris, Leah Bramhill, Nisha Amanala, Susan Fitoza and Yaz Volra. What an incredible group of people. I cannot wait to hear about the next steps that you're taking to the boardroom and I have no doubt you're all going to make an amazing contribution. Okay, that's it for today. Now, on with the show. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halja Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. Will also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Michelle Redfern about building your board portfolio, aligning with interests, purpose, and skills. First, let me tell you about Michelle. Michelle is a member of the Wayfinder Steering Committee and the former chair of Speckle Financial Health, the former deputy chair of Good Shepherd Microfinance and a former board member of Williamstown Football Club, the Gippsland League and Swinburne University Business Without Borders. She began her board career as the secretary for High Vale Netball Association. Today, Michelle is the founder of Advancing Women, an enterprise providing research and advisory services on workplace gender equality, inclusion and diversity. She's co-host of A Career That Soars, co-founder of Culturally Diverse Women and host of the Lead to Soar podcast. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Michelle. Thank you, Helia. It is a great honour to be here. It is awesome to have you because not only are we going to talk all things boards and governance and all those sorts of wonderful things, it's pretty exciting having another podcast host on the podcast as well. It's only audio, folks, so you can't see that Michelle is set up with all of the amazing microphones and audio, so I think you'll find today's audio to be of high quality, which is great. Now, Michelle, before we dig into building your board portfolio – as always, I would love to dig a little bit deeper about you. So can you tell me what was young Michelle like and when did you
1: get your first inkling
0: that you might end
1: up in the boardroom? Well, young Michelle grew up in regional Western Australia in a town called Geraldton and I spent a lot of time trailing around after, well, both my parents but my dad in particular, And my story is like a lot of other women in that I kind of looked at mum and dad and thought, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then I also looked at mum and dad when I was a bit later and went, oh, my God, they're so daggy. However, in retrospect and with the greatest respect, my parents were really community focused. So dad was in Lions, the Lions Club for my entire childhood. He was president for a number of years. Mum was on the school, parents and Friends committee, she ran the canteen, she led delegations for, you know, a new principal at one stage. And, you know, mum and dad were involved in community and in sport. So I trailed around after them a lot, doing stuff, sometimes happily, sometimes very begrudgingly. But I don't know, I was a pretty happy kid, pretty normal, you know, played sport, went to school, hung around, it a bit nerdy child number one. So people have always said to me, I'm a leader and I always have been a leader. Um, so yes, I do like to take charge. So yeah, I was, I was that take charge kind of kid. <laughs> I'm laughing at child number one, because
0: <clears throat> as child number three, I would say child number one, a leader is how we should describe them as, but from child number three, it was always maybe a bit bossy as well.
1: <laughs> hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So my young, I'm one of three girls and my younger sister, Nicole, would go, oh, the stories I could tell. And she was an annoying little flea. Now we're very, very good friends. So (laughs) that definitely sounds like it's reflected in
0: our family as well. (laughs) Maybe I need to have a glass of wine with Nicole one day and compare younger sibling stories. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So, You've been on a range of boards. You started at High Vail Netball Club. You said you played a couple of sports when you were younger. Actually, what other sports did you play just out of interest?
1: Uh, So netball, softball. I was a reasonably good junior swimmer. I played a bit of basketball. uh, And then as I got older, I played a bit of touch rugby. And then I I played netball right through until my, my second pregnancy. So netball and softball are probably the sports that have featured as most prominently as a I shudder to call myself an athlete. I am not, but uh, as a participant, and then I was involved via mum and dad, uh, but particularly dad with footy and cricket. For those that
0: are thinking about building a board portfolio, and maybe particularly in sports,
1: what's your advice to them? Where should they begin? Get involved. So, mm-hmm. the way I got involved was well, as I said, I, I kind of had the imprint on me because of mum and dad and, and them being mm-hmm. involved and that service to community and club and things like that. So, when my children started playing sport, it was in my own mind expected that I would show up and get involved in some way. And, um, and I've often said, particularly when Kelsey, my daughter, was playing, she started playing netball at the age of eight. And we lived in Glen Waverley at the time here in Melbourne. And if anyone's ever been to Jell's Park netball courts at 8am or 7.30am on a wintry Saturday morning, it's pretty rugged. So, you know, any committee member knows that if there's a parent that keeps showing up at that time and kind of says, can I help? You go, right, let's snaffle them. So that was me. Yeah. So I turned up. So I ran, I, I scored and... Managed, then I'd learned to umpire and things like that. And then with Brendan, my son, who started playing football, I fronted up to the footy club and said, Right, I want to get involved, but hey, I'm not working in the canteen. I'm not chopping up oranges. I'll run water. And they said, Would you like to be the umpire escort? I said, Yes, I'd love to be. Thank you very much. So I got involved, and I remember Peggy O'Neill saying, Uh, who was the first woman president um, of an AFL club, her saying that she started off exactly the same way. She turned up to Richmond, said, I love this club. What can I do? And volunteered. So I started volunteering. And Mm -hmm. that then led to me having this beautiful realisation that, okay, I could probably score and run around and umpire and coach and things like that, but I've got these really good administrative skills. So Mm -hmm. when the club asked me to jump onto the committee, I went, Sure, because I'm good at going to meetings. <laughs> I work for a big company. Um, I then quickly realised that oh, I, some of my ideas were and and processes and and administration. I was good at it, so mm. I then quickly was elevated to secretary because we were an incorporated association, and suddenly realised ah, this is governance, and yes. there's the requirements and reporting and constitutions and all of that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I got involved and then learned over time that my skills really aligned with what I loved, which is sport. And it also allowed me to stay involved in sport without being a participant. That's where it started. But it was an absolute aha moment of I love sport. I want to stay involved. And I've got these skills, these administration, these leadership skills, which are frankly really useful. So yeah,
0: that was it. Fantastic. And for those that want to be involved in sport, but not necessarily run around on the field or run around on the track or whatever it may be, it gives a fantastic way of getting that involvement uh, in the administration of the sport.
1: Whether it's shaping that club, whether it's shaping the game, mm. or as I then started to learn, perhaps I could do a whole bunch of other shaping. I could influence some outcomes at a more macro level that I'd started to observe. So, yeah.
0: Mm. Tell me about that. What were those macro outcomes that you wanted to influence?
1: Well, being, being part of a, a very, very big netball association, I uh, I learned that as a senior representative of our club, it was useful to build good stakeholder relationships with the larger association. Um, and that meant turning up and showing up to certain things. Um, and, you know, that's the way business works. So oh, yeah, Good, so I did that. But what I noticed was I went, well, where are are all the dads? There's a lot of women around here. And then I started looking at the Netball Victoria board, the Netball Australia board at that time, and we're talking about the early 2000s, and thought, "Hmm," because our little club, which, in fact, it was a very big club, we had about 18 teams at our peak, we had quite a number of dads who were involved in the committee, in coaching, Mm. all that kind of stuff, so we had a very gender-balanced um, parent representation. And I started to look further up the chain in terms of administration I thought, well, there should be more dads and there should be more variety of people, more diversity of people shaping the game. And someone happened to say to me, Michelle, you should jump on the Netball Victoria board. And I said, oh, no, I think I'd rather go straight to Netball Australia. And, um, and then I went, actually, actually, Netball's not where I want to have an impact. Football is... I started to thought, hang on a minute, if there's a whole bunch of women in netball, I bet you there's a whole bunch of men in football. Mm -hmm. And that is just not the way we create sustainable, flourishing organisations. So that was kind of my aha moment. Okay, this is a thing. This is a thing. And then my great friend, Philippa Dobbin, at the time said oh your board career what are you going to do about it someone buggered if I know I don't know I'll just work it out as I go along and then she started talking to me she said I think here's a couple of things that you might want to think about doing a couple of associations you know company directors course women on boards you know that kind of stuff and pretty much it it snowballed from there Mm. Always good. You know, the
0: thing I'm hearing in there is not only are those tips fantastic, but have a mentor or a sounding board in your sphere to give you some of those ideas for exactly where you want to be.
1: Absolutely. Because I kind of had a bit of an end game, but I didn't have a launch point. So I I set about getting myself trained to be... Mm -hmm. Director to, to learn governance. So I invested a lot of, um, yeah. well, not a lot, well, I invested a reasonable amount of time on understanding what it would take. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember my very first half day training with women on boards, and it was uh, Claire Braun and, and Ruth were running it. it, would have been back in, oh, gee, I don't know, 2009 or 10, something like that. And the first thing I learned was your executive CV is not your board director's CV. And you should always read the Australian Financial Review. And there was just so much more learning from that, clearly. But they're the two things that stuck with me. And now I I say that to aspiring board directors. I say, you've really got to know the business of business and what goes on in the ecosystem that is business. But also, this is different to your executive or your leadership career.
0: Absolutely. My, I just had a conversation this morning with a, yet another nominations committee where we reflected on some of the applications were people's executive resumes. And they didn't get through the mix because you can't see what it is they are going to contribute to the boardroom. It's so frustrating when you can see they are probably good people, but they are not showcasing what they need to showcase for the board role. So... Oh, yes. Okay. So again, I'm picking up the tips. Uh, Have a mentor or a sounding board in your boardroom. Definitely have a board resume. Invest in your training. Invest in your own development in the boardroom. Even though you clearly had some practical training that you'd got through your secretary role, you then built on that with some more formal training as well.
1: And and I I think I certainly hadn't considered that to be the start of my governance career until later on I went actually that was um, yeah. because you are it's the mechanics of overseeing and governing an organization no matter yeah. whether it's community grassroots for profit listed non you know, whatever it may be and yeah you're right I think I know when I did the company director's course, I'd already had a couple of boards under my belt by then, and I found it really, really useful because, and it was great because there were practical stories. And I mean, you would do it in your, you know, getting board ready programs, When you can bring that storytelling and practical examples, it moves beyond theory. So I found that very useful,
0: yeah. Absolutely. And you must get asked this all the time as well, but I often get asked about the company director's course or other training, those sorts of things and when to do it. And my personal view is you will get much more out of the program if you're already on a board or been on a board. So that it, it is that practical application rather than a theoretical application. So...
1: Yeah, and and I actually went off track there, but don't dismiss the experience you get on your children's sporting or the PNF or the daycare uh, or yes. the community daycare organisation. If someone says we've got a committee, jump and you're interested in a board career, do what I didn't go. Yes, turn up, yeah. learn, and and take it on board. Pardon the pun as as a learning experience because it is all of it is is just building and building and building your knowledge, but also then. I think the other thing useful for me, Helia, is that continuing professional development as a director, but also learning, "Uh aha, that's what I need to know more of. So I've got a gap and I need to really close that gap over this next period of time. What do I need to do about that? Mm -hmm. So tell me, what are some of the gaps that you identified in your governance skill set and what did you do about it? That stuff's really useful to hear. Yeah, so my mind definitely was my financial acumen. So, and I uh, certainly in the the groups I lead uh, programs on business strategic and financial acumen, which kind of makes my fifteen year ago self have a bit of a chuckle because I catapulted myself out of a fifteen year career at Telstra. Think, oh, let's see what I can do. Found this amazing job, and this amazing job involved was an executive role. It involved pricing and budgeting and strategizing. And I didn't even know how to use Excel. I was very, very low on the maturity scale of financial acumen. Uh, Luckily, I'm, well, I'm now married to a CFO. My darling wife gave me a crash course in a profit and loss, a balance sheet and cash flow. And then I went and did my MBA later on after that. I worked out that that was going to be a real career all of my career, a real derailer, if I didn't do something about it then and there. So I set about building my financial acumen. And, you know, I am a very much a strategic thinker, long term, what have you. I'm also really good at operations, um, as in getting done here and now and making decisions. But now that I've got that acumen around, I know, particularly as a director, what to look for. Mm-hmm. And how to, how to really test the things that management are telling us as directors of an organisation to say, does this stand true under scrutiny? I'm not meaning to be, have adversarial boards, you know, boards and management be adversarial, but you've got to know what you've got to know so that you can yeah. see that you're fulfilling your duties as a director. So that was, that was my big one.
0: Yeah, and it is, once you've got the principles of that, you can apply it to any boardrooms. Um, you know, I had a conversation with somebody the other day who's joined a larger board and she was like, Uh, oh, they're just zeros. It's the same principles. There's just a few more zeros now in, in the balance sheets and, and P&Ls that I'm looking at. So if you can get the principles down, Pat, it works beautifully. You'd said before you were involved in netball and then somebody had said, get yourself on Netball Victoria. And I went, no, no, after some thinking, I want to be involved in football, administration, football, boardrooms. How did that happen? What were the steps there?
1: So the steps were, number one, saying it out loud. So I'm a great believer in expressing what it is Mm -hmm. that you want. After spending far too many years not expressing what I really wanted and being a little bit amazed that no one could read my mind. But anyway, so expressing what I wanted. And then Having a bit of a plan, now I'm a reasonably crap goal setter, so I'll put that out there because I've said that publicly before, but I had a vision um, and my vision still is I want to be on the AFL Commission at some point. But I thought, well, what are my stepping stones? And my stepping Mm. stones were I need to find my very first football board to jump on. As it turned out, through a range, through networking and networks, I Mm. became aware of an opportunity in Gippsland and the Gippsland AFL Football and Netball League were specifically recruiting female directors. So I put my hand up and people would say, are you from Gippsland? I said, no, I'm actually from Western Australia. And they're going, why? why? Said, because they needed my skills. And mm-hmm. they needed my skills, my background and my gender, as it turned out. Mm-hmm. So that was my first board and, and my first footy board. And I knew that once you're on a board, you can get on other boards I wish it wasn't so, but they were the ones who gave me my leg up into the mm. AFL industry and I knew that, that was once I was there, I had to, to really build my networks, build my profile, demonstrate over and over again that I knew my stuff and I could mm. really add value for the communities that we were in service of
0: yeah.
1: and that's how it started. So Gippsland was a combined netball AFL. That's right. We were sitting across all of the clubs in that league. Yes.
0: Yep. And you were particularly interested in the AFL side, but you also had the netball side. Do you think that that helped get into that first one as well? Like they needed your gender, your skills, your experience?
1: It's a good question. I suspect it will have added to my credibility that I was, Mm. I knew sport because I'd been involved in sport for, for such a long time. So yes, I have no doubt that that was was part of it. However, they were certainly over-indexing on business skills, less on sports skills. And I was, in in my interview, I was very, very passionate about this epiphany that I'd had about how, how wonderful it was to be able to bring my business skills into the sporting environment. And interestingly, one of my mentors around that time, because I'd set my cap at the AFL, she said, you know, Michelle, I totally agree with you that we need more business skills, less football skills around boardroom tables. We're talking about extraordinarily big, big organisations, um, mm. even just from a monetary you know, exchange perspective. But she said, "You know, you're not a footballer. You've never played footy. You've never, never been involved." And I said, "Yeah, well, this is my job: is to really demonstrate in this first role how well I can do, and justify." myself and every other woman who wants to be involved in what has been traditionally male dominated environments, that we can bring value. We bring diversity of thought, diversity of lived experience, other ideas, um, and can question the way things have always been done. I mean, I could go on about this for ages, but there was just a lot of value. But for me personally, at that time, I knew that I had a lot of work to do to build my cred, which meant I had to show up at a lot of things. I sh- mm-hmm. And I put my hand up for pretty much everything. And they said, we've got some money from the AFL and they want us to set up a representative team for the whole of Gippsland. And I went, I'll do it for a women's mm. team. And I went, I'll mm-hmm. do it. And mm-hmm. Greg, the, the then president, he said, you're sure? And I went, spot on, leave it with me. I'll do it. I had no idea what I was doing, but I did it. And then I did it again when in my next role. And now I've got that experience. So just showing up and then saying yes to a whole bunch Mm. of things to gain new experience that was and which is always what I've done in my leadership career as well that looks interesting I might learn some stuff and that can go in my toolkit so the same applied for me there
0: yeah it's interesting isn't it because part of your value to that boardroom I would say is that you weren't from football Like that's exactly the value that you add. So you can ask the, inverted commas, stupid questions. You can get people to explain how things are done around here, which sometimes as they are then explaining, they wonder themselves why things are done that way.
1: I've got this, you know, I will always have the I've never been a player stuff, So I will always be able to bring that to it. But there's no doubt that as my experience continues to grow in the sport, I'm less diverse, (laughs) you know, so so we have to bring other people in who can help us with different lived experience. So, yeah, I really was, it was just so absolutely crystal clear the benefit to sport of greater diversity on the boards. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you've done so much work around gender equality. Why is gender equality important in sport?
1: Because sport is business. So mm. so there's two things. So, so I'll go back and say because people say, why sport? You know, I'm not an elite athlete, never have been. And I say sport has been always been a part of my life since I was mm. a little person. So I can't imagine a life without sport in it. And I enjoy a whole range of sports. AFL is my particular passion area. Sport is a great vehicle for social change. I know, including my own two children who are 31 and 28, I know. That there are many people of all ages and all walks of life that will believe the words that come out of a sports person's mouth more than they might believe some of our legislators. They've Mm. got cred. So I know that sport can be a great vehicle for social change. And frankly, there are so many people in sport. But what I see is, and I've researched it and I continue to research it, there is a glaring, glaring divide between those that have power and influence and make decisions and those who volunteer and do stuff that's kind of nice mm-hmm. for free. Men still hold power. Women still do a lot of stuff for free. And it was interesting in my first foray into footy with my son's footy team, I will not be cutting up oranges, washing jumpers, going in the canteen. And look, I'll knock yourselves out, whoever wants to do that, but it's not me because I'm so determined not mm. to go, be put into a gendered stereotype role. And that's Mm. what I want to do is break down. Now, why? Because just like we know, diversity at all levels of of leadership in for-profit and for-purpose organisations means you've got greater opportunity to outperform. It's the Mm. same for sport. Sports often are lean organisations, often very scrappy, big volunteer base. So we need innovative thinking. We need new thinking to keep evolving. And this last two years, there's never been a greater example of really well-run sports organisations versus perhaps could be more diverse, could be more innovative, because organisations, there are some that have absolutely survived COVID and others that have not and have done very, very poorly. And you, you can look at the composition of leadership and boards and say, there's a diverse range of people bringing a whole bunch of different ideas to a really big problem here versus a homogenous group that have always done the same thing the same way. Now, I'm being very binary there because naturally it's a lot more complex than that. But I want sport to survive and flourish because it is a really important part of society. Mm. But I don't want it to be the domain of just one group of people. Yeah. And because at the heart of all this, it's not fair. Yeah. Yes.
0: Oh, them fighting words, Michelle. We love it. Fantastic. Now you said earlier that your vision was to be on the AFL Commission. Is that still
1: your your vision? I don't know, and I'm normally so absolutely certain about what I'm going to do. Uh, determined is what my mother has said I was from the moment I was born. So the reason I want wanted to be the commissioner of the AFL was to shape the game, mm. and was to make it the best the best game for all people now there's actually a governance problem in my opinion and i don't think the commission necessarily has in terms of boards i feel with the greatest of respect to the commissioners that they're not as visible as i would like to see and i'm not seeing the innovation and the drive from those governors and i'm seeing management take the lead on a whole bunch mm. of stuff and I, don't, I can't see that changing in, in the short term. So I'm not going to go anywhere where I can't have an impact and I'm not going to invest time where I can't have an impact. So yeah. maybe I'll have an impact in a different way, Helia. Yeah. So which is being an annoying you know, advocate for women in sport and nipping at the heels of folk that perhaps need to think differently about some things.
0: Well, that's all right. We will watch this space and uh, just see, and, you know, maybe you need to go and run the AFL on the management side as opposed to being one of the
1: commissioners. As my wife says, I'm, you know, I've been working for myself for a long time. I would be a very bad employee. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, well, you just remain being that annoying voice because we love, you know, we know that in good governance, annoying voices are the ones we need. And we also know in the continued fight for equality, diversity and inclusion that the annoying voices are definitely needed. So all power to you in that, I say.
1: Thank you. Thank you. But I'm determined to remain involved in football, a range of different capacities, including as a director. And you know, I'm not a director at the moment. I'm having a hiatus at the moment, but... You know, that, that is most definitely on my agenda. Excellent. Well, don't
0: let that hiatus stay for too long. <laughs> oh, Michelle, so many wonderful things in this conversation. What are the key points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've
1: had today? So the key points are, number one, if you're an aspiring director, really step into that space right now and say, what can I get myself involved in? Put your hand up and get yourself involved in a committee no matter what it is, and start learning the ropes about governance. Believe me, the opportunities are there and they don't have to be onerous. Mm. So that would be number one. Number two, work out what your strengths are and play to them and talk about them with your mentors and stakeholders. And number three, figure out what your gaps are. So you've got to learn about Mm -hmm. governance and figure out what your gaps are and figure out what you're going to do about that. So that would be my first three for aspiring directors or current directors, I want you to look beyond the group that you might ordinarily look at as potential directors. Start thinking about talent pipelines. Committees and subcommittees are really great ways to give women opportunity and experience. You know, I always say we've got to expose women to these environments and give them the exposure to the people who are in the environments. So, Mm -hmm think about who you might bring onto your committees and start grooming. Have a talent pipeline, the same as we do in companies. Um, So Mm -hmm. for directors, look beyond the normal that you might look to and challenge your board recruitment companies to think more broadly. We want to see more women of colour. We want to see more First Nations women. We want to see more women full stop. But certainly those two groups are, are underrepresented.
0: Absolutely. I've said it a few times, say it again, that uh, equality is just one part of the equation. If all we do is replace some of the white men on boards with, old white men on boards with old white women, we haven't won. We need that diversity as well. Yeah. Have you got a resource that you would like to share with the Take On Board community?
1: Uh, I do. And it's a, it's a book by one of my fabulous friends and also someone I'm in a business with, Susan Colin And her book is called No Ceiling, No Walls. And hell yeah, I'm going to get you some copies when I'm back up in Melbourne for you to give away at one of your fabulous breakfasts. It's a really great business book to help you close what we call the missing 33% gap. So, if you are light on business, strategic, and financial acumen, it is a great book to start saying, here's how I might start to identify and close my gaps. It's a brilliant book about women's leadership because a lot of leadership is still grounded in what men need when they start to ascend to the C-suite. And frankly, what men need as they start to move up the career ladder, women are already good at. What women need is what men have been taught from the outset of their careers, the business of the business. So this is a great book.
0: Ah. ah well, just this year we started the Take On Board Book Club. Michelle, No Ceiling, No Walls might end up as one of their books on Book Club for 2022. Oh, Michelle, thank you so much. I can't believe it! it's taken us this long to organise this time to chat, to be on the podcast, but thank you so much for sharing your stories, uh, for sharing your tips, for sharing your wisdom with the Take On Board community today. My absolute pleasure and thanks for having me. Hi there, it's Halya. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together, so it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.